Hey, this is Travis, and I'm so grateful for those of you who've been listening to these sermons over the last few years. We just wanted to make you aware of some of the changes that are going to be coming up in the future on this channel. In addition to posting our sermons weekly, we're also going to be hosting a show called The Stone Table, where we sit down with pastors, authors, and thinkers to discuss the Christian life, theology, and how the gospel of Jesus relates to living in the modern world. Francis, Corey, and I are really excited about everything coming up, and we want to invite you to join us for this conversation. Over the last few years, we as a ministry have sent a number of teams to Scotland to partner with a church plant in the city of Glasgow. So often when we think about Scotland, we imagine universities or golf courses or towering cathedrals, and it's easy to think that somehow Scotland is a Christian nation. But the reality on the ground is much different. Today, we're talking with one of my favorite people, Pete Stewart. Pete is a church planter with the organization 20 Schemes, and a pastor of Hope Community Church in Glasgow. Together, Pete and I talk about how he ended up in ministry, some of the challenges that come with church planting, and the ways that he sees Christ at work in the nation of Scotland. I'm Travis Lowe, and this is The Stone Table. Pete, you are a church planner in Glasgow, Scotland, but you haven't always been a church planner, and you're not originally from Scotland. So for the people who are listening to this who, who haven't been on a trip over to serve with you and your church, can you just explain a little bit about yourself, where you're from, how you ended up in ministry? Yeah, yeah. so there was a time in my life when I was a child, so I was, it wasn't a church planter at that point. Um, I grew up in Northern Ireland, which is the best wee country in the world. And actually, so yeah, I grew up in Northern Ireland. Mum and dad split up. Mum was a Christian and taught me the gospel from a young age. Mum and dad split up when I was about six or seven. And my mum ended up remarrying a Christian guy. And we went over, moved over from Northern Ireland to Scotland, just outside Glasgow, and to kind of reconnect with his kids from his first marriage. All a bit confusing. And so, yeah, so just taught the gospel from a young age, always about churches. We were part of the Brethren Movement, which kind of, I guess, like independent fundamentalist almost movement growing up. And then I actually got baptised when I was 16. I went to uni for four years to do accountancy and finance because I thought that'd be great for my future church planting career. At that point, I didn't think it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, then uni was was fine. It was fun, but it was a kind of double life for me in many ways. Like pretending to do the Christian thing on Sundays, but a lot of the other time I wasn't. I just get really convicted at the end of that. I was just about to finish and go traveling around Europe. And I thought, let's get this kind of partying thing out for six weeks and, and then I'll come back to the Lord. And the week before I was going away traveling, I was at a camp where we were reading through the book of James and it just completely smashed me. The Lord was telling me, look, if you if you are saying you're following me, if you're saying you know and love Jesus, then that needs to take effect in every part of your life. And so I took six weeks around Europe just really asking God, well, what are you doing with me then? What, what have you got for me? And there's a bit of a journey through, got a few finance jobs, but ended up basically working for a church of scotland in a scheme community so scheme is a kind of government housing community the government would class it as a more deprived community i was from a kind of middle class more affluent i guess you could say background and got a job for church of scotland as a youth worker in this scheme when i was i must have been what i got married the same year so 2009 so i'm sure before you were born travis with that <laughs> <laughs> yeah not quite but close <laughs> 
so you started working in the Church of Scotland. Did you feel like there was a, a call to ministry or was that just sort of a, I don't know if this is where God would have me or not, but I want to see, or, or were, at that point, was it really clear for you like ministry is where God wants me to go? Growing up, I was always, I always passionate about the gospel and the, my stepdad was a really good kids evangelist. So I was always involved in youth work. I really just felt the need to tell like young people about Jesus. And so I kind of knew that going through. I always thought that I'd be maybe be a youth worker sometime in the future. At that point, I didn't really know what that was going to look like. And it was only actually when the Americans kind of like screwed over the worldwide mortgage market that I had to leave my finance job and then get a job working for a church. Um, so the Lord would use that. And we ended up doing youth work for a church. And they, I mean, did I feel a call to ministry? Like I felt a call to share the gospel with the community. I felt a love for the young people that I get a chance to do it with. And the church was just was saying it was going to give us the opportunity to just talk about Jesus, teach Jesus in the community, in the schools, in the youth projects. So, so yeah, I, I guess I then went on a journey to get to where I am now. But at that point, I was very much just like, I love Jesus. I want to share Jesus with young people. And so I ended up in the church. And to be honest, like I would never put myself in the Church of Scotland. Like again, I grew up in a independent, kind of more fundamentalist type of church. Church of Scotland is probably the class mainstream liberal these days. And there's a kind of small conservative evangelical contingent and they were they were Presbyterian, like I'm Baptist. So it wasn't a natural fit really in any way. But they were giving me the opportunity to to hang out with young people and talk about Jesus. And they had a real heart for this community. And they still do. They still they love a lot of the people who are from here and love here. And so they just kind of gave me a blank page to go and, and do what I wanted or what I felt God wanted me to do, which was which was great. Yeah. So when a lot of our American listeners are going to hear this, they're going to think about Scotland as being a predominantly a Christian nation. Uh, in, in, their, in a lot of people's minds, they think about people like John Knox or uh, Robert Murray McShane or kind of these great figures from church history that arose from Scotland. Uh, but obviously you live there. You, you certainly know better than we do. What's the spiritual climate in Scotland? How would you describe it? Yeah, I mean, even since I've been here, it's changed a lot. But when we would say mainstream secular Scotland today, it would be very kind of atheistic in, in many ways. There was some research done recently by the Barna Trust. I think they're actually American as well. Maybe yeah, I think I've read it. I think it was about 50, 49% would class themselves as Christian. And so 51% would say they're non-Christian. And even of those 49%, in terms of like evangelical Christians, so like believe that you need to be converted, believe that in the atonement that Jesus dies, take away our sin, that we need to turn from him you know, and trust him, believe in the need to tell others that message. There was, I think, two and a half percent of Scotland that would be classed in that bracket. And so, yeah, so Scotland's a very different nation to what I guess most people think it is and to, to I guess, what it used to be as well. And it, it depends, a different demographic is different. So again, in the mainstream kind of middle class more affluent areas of Scotland, you're going to get a lot of atheism, secularism, and and yeah, very little in terms of of religion per se. But in the more deprived communities, there is more of a kind of religiosity about it. So in our in our community, for instance, I would I would doubt you're going to get anywhere near fifty percent saying they're atheists or or not religious. I think a lot of people would have a heritage and still say, yeah, yeah, still we're still Christian, we're still Protestant or Catholic, but actually probably even less in our types of communities that would actually be committed to the 
to the gospel and to get evangelical, you know, how we might term side of Christianity. Well, that's so interesting because I don't know if you're familiar with the, the IMB mission board, but the way that they classify an unreached people group is less than 2% Christian. And so for, for many people, when, when they think about Scotland, they hear that 50% number and think Scotland's overwhelmingly Christian. But when you actually get down to sort of historic Orthodox Christianity, Scotland really does kind of hover on the edge of being an, an unreached people. Yeah, and I, again, I would say that in certainly in our community, I would my guess would be that there, if you're talking about historic, obviously less than two percent. And I would say again, most of the schemes I know, less than two percent. Again, that's not to say that people wouldn't believe in God, but mm-hmm. it's to say that they would fall out with that historic confessional line of what it is to be a Christian according to the Bible or according to our understanding of the Bible. Yeah. So you, you've talked a little bit about the difference between the different sort of parts of society over there and how you might encounter more prominent secularism and atheism in more affluent areas, but that things are different in schemes yeah. in terms of how how religion and Christianity is perceived. So what are maybe some of the unique challenges that you guys face working within a, a scheme? And then could you explain a little bit about your specific scheme, Berlinark? And am I saying that right or am I saying that wrong? Well, how do you say it? Berlinark? Yeah, Barlanark. Barlanark, is that right? I I've got an Irish accent, though. Who knows how you actually say it? So I need to ask Pete Bell about how to say it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he's probably uh, sleeping, so I wouldn't ask him. <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah. So, what are some of the unique challenges that you guys face over there? Again, the, the Scottish government class schemes is more as the more stereotypically deprived communities, but wouldn't necessarily like people around here don't like being called poor. And in many ways, certainly world in terms of our global perspective, aren't poor. They've still got a lot of disposable income. There's big tellies in the walls. It's like there's like they're not necessarily struggling for food. And the kind of general guy right about here, although kind of statistic wise, you would say that there'd be more unemployment, lower income, and more kind of mental health problems just stereotypically across the scheme of Scotland. But what's great about them is that there's very tight knit community. So there are people that probably live here with their families with 50, 60, 70, some places over 100 years. And so they are, they would do anything for you. They've got like a sense of community that, I mean, many middle-class churches try to need to foster that through community groups or potluck suppers, whatever you do. Whereas these communities have just got this kind of history of would do anything for each other, would like, like Bruno Mars would catch a grenade for you or whatever that was. And so <laughs> I think so I get that's that. Great. One of the hard things about that is that there's a, it's hard for me as an outsider to come in and to then try and break into to that because it will be seen kind of suspiciously and, and and what doesn't go down well is the whole, I mean, again, you get a lot of Christians coming in the kind of very paternalistic, like, oh, I'm here to fix all your problems, which is just not helpful because, yes, there is problems. Yes, there's a lot of struggles, but equally there's a lot of common grace, a lot of good as well. In terms of like the, kind of the challenges, so around here there'd be more pronounced like addiction problems and there'd be families would be not like so for instance I used to do a class in the local school out of a out of a class of maybe thirty three kids there'd be maybe maybe six seven that would have mum dad brother sister in the one house so the kind of concept of nuclear family is is different there'd be kind of like a couple of kids and different dads and a bit of a mix which brings challenges there'd be a lot of single parents it's a very kind of hardened us against the world exterior so like what I love about it is also a massive challenge it's very direct speak in your face there's none of this kind of like nicey middle class like oh yeah I might do that which means I'm never going to do that like we sometimes say that they call a spade a mm, spade yeah very direct in your face but yeah 
I mean, again, we say with Glasgow as a whole, it's, it's the same with the schemes that it's the kind of people that might stab you, but then take you to the hospital afterwards. So they're <laughs> kind of roughness to it exterior, but actually some of those kindest, generous, gentle people you ever want to meet as well. Yeah. We originally even met just because I was a part of a missions team that went over to help with uh, the church plant that you and Pete Bell are working on in Barlanark. Did I say it right? Barlanark. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we originally met through that. And I know I had a lot of misconceptions going over about what secularism looked like in Scotland. And I'm just curious, you've had a lot of American teams come over. What are some of the misconceptions that you see in uh, people who are coming from a different context into yours? How do they maybe uh, not understand what they're stepping into? Like often they drive around and think, well, there's no problems here. Like this is a nice place, nice and neighbor and go get on. That it is in many ways. And yet, just because it doesn't look like there's challenges, doesn't look like there's a lot of like um, problems under the surface, doesn't mean there's not. Um, so just because people have got a big telly and access to able to pay for a takeaway or carrier every night of the week doesn't mean that there's not massive problems underneath the surface. And so, and so yeah, so Americans tend to, I think, not understand that. And then I guess it's the lack of actual understanding of the gospel as well is always stark. So like I've spoken a lot to guys in America and talk a lot about kind of nominal Christianity, but it seems to be that the nominal Christianity in the States still would understand the gospel. Still, it's kind of like a nominal evangelicalism in that sense that mm-hmm. this is what a Christian is. I might say I believe it, but I'm just not going to live that out. Whereas over here, it's, it's kind of stripped right back. So again, people who would say they're Christian would not necessarily recognize the gospel at all from me just talking. So like if I said the gospel is... God loves everybody and wants you to be happy, then they'll be like, yeah, okay, that's that's cool. Or if the God, you know, if I start talking about sin, they're going to be like, oh, I don't know about that. Like, and the actual understanding of, of the historic Christian gospel is just a lot lower, I think, than what most Americans expect coming in. What did you notice when you've been over? Well, I think for me, I, I had this sort of conception that secularism looked like the angry atheist Richard Dawkins, uh, sort of this active hostility towards religion. Whereas kind of what I experienced when I was over there was a lot more like indifference. It's just people don't really care that much one way or another. Or You can talk to them, like you said, about would you consider yourself a Christian? And they'd say, sure. And then you could ask the question, well, what do you think? What do you think is the sort of the basic beliefs of Christianity? And it was believe in God and be a good person or things like that that aren't distinctively Christian. They're, they're certainly a part of what it means to be a Christian, but not really distinctive to Christianity. And again, that's where the big difference there is the community you've come to. Because if you went to a more middle-class area of Scotland, you would get militant atheism. Our institutions, our broadcast like agencies, our press would be far more like militantly atheist and anti-Christian in many ways. It's just in the scheme communities, it's not. I can maybe it'll catch up. I know, but it was it Calvin that said like in wartime, no one's an atheist. And I think there's something of that in the kind of heart of our communities where we just feel like it's rougher. We feel like, you know, life's given us a harder hand. And so there's just an innate sense of there must be a God, there must be something bigger than this, um, which is why there's maybe a sense of kind of spirituality or religiosity still kind of remaining. That probably opens up some new opportunities too, though, because you're, you've got people who functionally don't really know what Christianity is. And so it gives you the opportunity to be really clear and explaining it and kind of articulating it in a different way than somebody who maybe knows what Christianity is and just vehemently opposes it. So, so I, could, I could see that also being a positive because it's kind of like you're stepping into the world of the book of Acts where you're laying the foundation from the ground up. One of the most bizarre things 
for people is the fact that we've started a new church in this scheme because there's already a Protestant Church of Scotland and there's a Roman Catholic chapel. And everyone's like, there's two churches. Like, and there's just no category for the need for another church. Hmm. And so when we say we've planted to start a new church, they're automatically asking, why? Like, what's the difference? And so again, we've had to like try and formulate, well, how can we best answer that? Because what we don't want to say is like, is they say, well, these guys are just all idiots and we're we're right because yeah, that's it's not helpful not or true. Yeah. And it's also yeah. like people have got a lot of historic connections to these places, that these places have done a lot of good, that kind of socially in the community and still do a lot of good socially in the community. But we're trying to work out, well, how can we be distinctive? And so one of the things that we I talk is the word hope. So we're Hope Community Church Berlanic. And so we would tend to say, look, we are a church that offers hope. We know that the world is broken. We know that we struggle for hope, for life, for joy. And actually we believe the root of that struggle is how we're disconnected from God, is how we have rebelled against God and chosen to live life our way. And yet Jesus came to bring us hope. Jesus came to rescue his people by dying in their, in their place for their sin and bringing them back to him now and forever. And that's a message they're not going to hear because it's just more complex, more in-depth and, and more nuanced. But it's just hard because, again, you're going up against years and years and years of I'm a Christian and I know what it's about. And uh, the church does, like we sometimes say, that hatch them, match them and dispatch them. So hatch them, we baptize my kids when they're young, match them, we go there to get married, dispatch them. That's where we have our funerals, but it doesn't necessarily play a, a big point. So, so yeah, something there's positive and negative there. There's the chance to articulate it clearly, but there's also just a, a, an apathy which comes from, I already know this, I don't need this. Like the God they've rejected is not the God that we're offering, but um, they, they realise that. So. So let's talk a little bit about the the church that you guys have planted, Hope Community Church. What what was the process like for that? How did you end up deciding to plant a church, and and what was the road to launching? I, I think you guys have launched in the last couple months. How did you get there? Back to working in the Church of Scotland, it was great, loads of great opportunities. The youth project was really busy. And my best mate at the time, Pete Bell, got employed as well. And so the two of us together were able to grow a busy youth project just with two full-time staff, a bunch of great volunteers, There's a lot of great stuff happening. And the church were really happy in many ways, so what was going on, but we always just felt a disconnect from what we believed mission was, what we believed a church should be, and what the rest of the, the kind of church wanted the church to be and so we were we actually struggled as the only evangelicals the only ones really wanting to get into the bible the only ones wanting to share the gospel like disciple these young people to be more than you know just a solid young person but someone who like, is going to be a sold out for jesus and so we kind of got to the end of our rope just thinking what are we doing here like we're not we're not fitting here this just feels like we shouldn't be here and yet stuck in attention of loving the people we're around loving the like the kind of leaders or members of the church we were, were in that were great to us, but just feeling like we don't fit, but yet we love these guys, what's going to happen? And at the kind of one of our lowest points, randomly, Mez McConnell kind of rocked up one day. We didn't know him from Adam. He just knocked over and we were just like, what's going on? But immediately kind of clicked because he was a, he was a guy coming from like a kind of evangelical conservative background like we were. He was a Baptist like we were, but the main thing he said was that what our scheme communities need is gospel churches that are going to like see their primary role as preaching the gospel. Like a lot of the time, a lot of social work got done through the churches. There's food banks, there's you know, youth projects, there's good stuff, helpful stuff. 
Absolutely, yeah. It wasn't going to last for eternity. And so just that his vision for planting churches matched up with our vision for wanting to see a church here. And it took a couple of years for us to get kind of behind us doing it. We thought that somebody else would come in. We'd maybe help out with the youth work or the community work. But like one day up in Costa, I think it was to a coffee shop, I think it was 2014, basically it came out, Pete and I wanted the same thing and he was like, you guys go and do it. Go and be the healthy gospel church you want. Like he said, no one else is coming. Like There's not a bunch of evangelicals bunching down trying to plant that type of church. But you're here, you've got the vision, go and do it. In many ways, that was was freeing for us. Like the years running up to that, I'd been like consuming like pastors' podcasts. I've been reading a lot about preaching, pastoring. Just felt the call, the burden of of pastoring, leading people, but also like being a church and what it is to be a church. And so that was very freeing. And we worked a year's notice after that. And in 2015 in August, we left our jobs in the Church of Scotland to start full time planting a church. And that was really hard because people didn't really get it and they looked, felt we were kind of stabbing them in the back. And so there's a bit of animosity around the community because people were saying that we were like a cult or that we were stabbing people in the back and stuff. And so, and that's still kind of rubbing on today. So that's been hard. But equally, it's just felt so freeing to be spending all of our time and energy doing what we've always felt like we should be doing, which is preaching the gospel and making disciples and gathering a church. I think that's, that's the mission that all the all churches have. And so um, we gathered a team. God was really faithful. We had about 15, 16 adults. We were about to launch in April 2017. And then in the months running up to that, it all fell apart. And we got down to the seven of us. So us, our wives, and three others that left the Church of Scotland with us. A lot of issues over baptism and theological stuff. And just personal, I just all kind of fell apart. And we were thinking, oh, what's going on? Like, why are we here? Like, why did we leave for this? to happen and yet God was really faithful God provided a number of mature believers to get alongside us and we launched as a church in January of this year January 2018 it was Hope Community Church Balanic it was our first kind of public service and in many ways it didn't really feel like the beginning because there'd been years of work and even over the last the years running up to there was a lot of ministry on in the background and it just kind of was in some ways that the the glue that holds that together or the, or the centerpiece that kind of that all feeds into that we now get to worship together as Christians on a Sunday and so it's been great since then we've been we've baptised three people or I think we're about to baptise three more which has been great the membership we knew was going to change so we started with 15 and we knew like six of them were going to leave over the course of the next couple of months and some were short-term interns from America some were going on a train with Nidri to try to schemes the plant but we're about to bring in a new batch of members, which will take us up to like 21 or something that members. So faithful, a bunch of mature Christians there, a bunch of new Christians there, a bunch of guys that have come from scheme, kind of indigenous background that we're now training. And our, our staff team is full of like kind of indigenous people now, which is great. We have a bunch of Americans alongside that as well. But so yes, it goes to be faithful, but it's also just flipping hard. This week, like the last couple of weeks, I've just felt like an absolute battle, like, and um, like personally, Pete, like Lindsay and I've like had a bit of a rough time. If Lindsay lost a baby, and um, she's pregnant, and then Pete's health has been horrendous over the last couple of years, and it's been really bad the last couple of weeks. And um, and then just pastorally, the church is just feels like we're getting smashed from every angle. Like then it just feels hard. Like and so it's just I guess hard to keep remembering that, that this is God. He Jesus is building His church, and and we're trying to be faithful. We're trying to point ourselves and others to Him, but. We're just thankful we could trust him with that because if it was left to ourselves, we wouldn't have no hope. So. 
probably went well off topic, but uh, no, no. I mean, I I appreciate your honesty there, Justin. I think so often it's easy to glamorize church planting because it's so highly esteemed, especially in a lot of the circles that we run in. And people talk about it being difficult, but it almost feels like they're just paying lip service to the difficulty. Like we have to acknowledge it's difficult, but also it's really great. And so I just so appreciate your honesty and the challenges that come with that. Twice he was a weekender every twice a year or something. And I've done a talk on it, like lessons from failure. And like, cause it's just, it's literally felt like all of our ministry here has felt like one thing after another, like fight after fight with like an undercurrent of grace just keeping us through that was holding like God's holding on to us and so like it's it's definitely it's physically takes it out of you emotionally it takes it out of you like spiritually like again it's only by the grace of God that we're here like it's in many ways it feels like more discouragements than encouragements just because I think we're on the front line and we're dealing a lot of time with just young Christians or people coming from chaotic backgrounds and so it just it definitely is a, a mental and spiritual weight and yet again God is so good there is many, it's worth it for one or two people being saved, never mind what we've seen. And I mean, it's a joy to be baptizing people again, to bring more people into membership. And like, it's worth it when you think about that. I mean, you see God at work, but like in the daily grind of it, it's just a battle to keep your eyes on Jesus and to know that he's got this and he's holding us as much as he's holding everybody else. Yeah. And so many ways too, it just reminds me of like Paul's conversation. I think it's in Thessalonians. I could be getting the letter wrong where he talks about, on top of the, the pressures of ministry, there's his da- daily anxiety for all the churches who's led to stumble where he's not indignant. And that's something that people don't tend to consider in terms of like the pastoral office. It's not just preaching, but it's if you're a good pastor, like you care about the people you're preaching to and all of the things that come up in their life and their lives, it, it becomes your your problem as well, just because you care so deeply for them. Uh, like, so, I love preaching. If all I did was preaching, I would be have a sweet life for them. This job would be so easy if all we did was preach. Yeah, it's it's just like, and again, like you, I wouldn't have it any other way because there's no point in me sitting in an office for like forty hours a week writing a sermon and never actually going out and and being with the people that need this or that God's bringing this word to me included. And so I wouldn't have it any other way. But it is just just hard, isn't it? Again, it's just a battle for joy, a battle to keep our eyes in Christ. No one that it's not against us. It's not about us at the end of the day. And, and again, that's freeing. Like if I, if I was thinking that I had a pivotal role in these people's salvation or um, in the success of this church, then I would not sleep at night. Um, and that's not doesn't mean I've got not got big responsibilities or not got a, a tough call, but it means that, that God is sovereign and Christ is king. And so I can trust him. One of the things I appreciate about how you care for sort of the community that you're in, and, and I've noticed this with all of the people in 20 Schemes that I've interacted with, is there's a, a huge emphasis on hospitality. So it's like all of the church planners I've talked to have people living with them or staying with them or missionaries who are staying for three months or years. I'm just so fascinated by that because I feel like hospitality is one of the the lost spiritual disciplines in the States in particular. Christians are so closed off from their neighbors and their friends. I'm just curious for you all, how did you is that something that was just instilled in you? Is that maybe a, a cultural thing where hospitality is just more important? How did this become part of the culture of 20 schemes? And Yeah, like a bit of both. Like I read a great quote last week that hospitality does not mean having something around for a meal after lunch. Uh, sorry, for a meal after church. Like hospitality is a lifestyle, is a open up of your life to others. And again, in the community we're in, because it's tight knit, because they love each other, is a more natural kind of playground for that to happen in. 
because of the chaos of our guys' lives, it's needed in a very acutely obvious way. So if someone has left like uh, back out of addiction where every day they've been drinking, every day they've been taking drugs, we can't expect them to say, hey, come to Jesus and then come to church once on a Sunday and I'll get you a community group one week. Like, that's just not going to cut it because they've got a community, a family right about there of people that are going to pull them away. And so we just need to be that type of family that opens up not just our houses, but our lives to each other. And we've seen that model really well. Mez, in particular, the guys at Nidri have been ace at that. And we've seen a lot of fruit coming from that. And so the part, some of the key points of our ministry have been having these guys living with us or people living with us and just seeing like how we live our lives. Like, And it's not just the good. Like This evening, Lindsay and I were really struggling with the boys and Carrie gets to hear that and then we need to apologise to them and to each other and we need to model that as well. So it's not just like being Chenny happy all the time, but especially with people like you know, the guy who's staying here for a few weeks who's coming out of the background of addiction and out of prison, never had a kind of solid family around him. And for him to see what it means to, to love and follow Jesus whenever your kids are like doing your boxing or whenever you're under a lot of pressure, or whenever you're just so tired that you can't bother doing anything, I think is as helpful as for him to hear on a Sunday morning. Well, what is it to, to believe and to trust in Jesus as well? So, Yeah, absolutely. And again, I go back to Paul where he talks about caring so deeply for the church that he shared not just the gospel, but his life with them as well. And in some ways, sharing a life shaped by the gospel is part of sharing the gospel. It's it's the illustration to your theological sermon point is showing here's how this works works itself out in my life, but you you actually have to live alongside people for that to work. People over here want you to be authentic. They want you like I don't know if it's definitely like, this might be a, a really bad cultural reading, but in some ways it seems like a kind of American like pastors or the idea of like a pastor a bigger church want you to be the kind of holy. You can teach the Bible well. You're this kind of oh, he's the pastor kind of guy. Um, whereas in our country, people want to see you're authentic, want to see that this actually lands in your life day in, day out. They want to see your struggles. They want to see that you're not just being fake with it. And, and that's been helpful, like just, again, to be living in amongst a team and showing, like, so again, Sunday morning, like, I, there's conflict between me and, and one of the team. And then I had to repent of that and, and, and sort that out. And that's helpful, I think, for them to see that, like, hey, I need the gospel as much as anybody else and trying to model that in a good way. So we, we've talked a lot about some of the triumphs, some of the struggles that you guys have experienced in planting and just doing ministry in a particular community. I'm just wondering, maybe if you can kind of zoom out and think about Scotland as a whole and maybe your community as well. Like, What are some of the maybe signs of hope that you see? What are the things that have you excited about what Jesus is doing in Scotland? Yeah, like I'm really encouraged by the renewed vision for church planting in Scotland, particularly from people from our kind of tribe of like a more conservative, gospel-loving people. There's been a resurgence in, in planting just different churches. So 20 Schemes has grown dramatically over the last kind of four or five years. And so I think we've got currently got five active churches or church plants, and then we've got five new planters just starting this year as well are coming in, which is amazing. And, and it's not just us. There's like Acts 29 churches that are being planted. There's the Free Church of Scotland Presbyterian are planted churches. Um, and there's a real, in some ways, kind of gospel resurgence that's had to happen because we've we've got right down to the bottom. Like we were, what like you know, five ten years ago, there was very little in terms of the kind of church we would be comfortable in happening in Scotland. There maybe was very far out conservative kind of separatist Christianity, or there was a, a lot of mushiness. And so I'm I'm definitely encouraged by that. There's a lot of gospel partnerships kind of starting up between churches of different 
kind of secondary beliefs and yet able to work together for the, the sake of the gospel and just the fruit we're seeing and particularly the skiing communities and the people in America and other places like just buying that vision and willing to get behind it and come and leave comforts of the states and come and sell out here for Jesus is massively encouraging like it's crazy that there's a big church in my idea a big church in Florida that prays often for a little small church and a little small community and a little small nation of Scotland like only Jesus would do that Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource from the College and Career Ministry of Baylife Church. Our goal is to equip our community to follow Christ faithfully and think carefully about the harder issues in the Christian faith. If you found this podcast helpful, please leave a review and subscribe. From College and Career, I'm Francis, and this is The Stone Table.